A journey into sight today on Growing Grace. This man, blind from birth, is about ready to find the reality of that, that his disability was a setup so that God could change him for eternity. He will never be the same because of this moment we're reading on. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit be and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your Imagine being blind from birth, never able to see your loved ones or see the sunrise and set, or anything else for that matter. Then, in an instant, you receive your sight. The feeling that would accompany that experience would be hard to put into words. Well, today on Grow in Grace, we'll be introduced to a blind man who experienced the healing touch of the Master's hand. He not only received physical, but also spiritual sight. Pastor Ed Ray begins by reading today's scripture. We are in John chapter 9 as we're working our way through the New Testament, verse by verse. John 9, 1. John writes, Now as Jesus passed by or was passing by, literally, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Jesus answered, neither, neither this man nor his parents, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground. Ooh. Made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. <laughs> Makes my eyes hurt. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So we went and watched and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, Well, he is like him. He said, I'm him. <laughs> I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Now was the Sabbath, when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees, who asked him again how he had received his sight, he said to them, he put clay in my eyes. I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. 
They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, "Mm, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. He is of age, ask him, he will speak. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, the Jewish leadership. And the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, once I was blind, now I see. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for recording this historic event for us so that we, 2,000 years later, can begin to see more clearly who you are. Teach us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may recognize the name of jazz pianist George Shearing. He died not too long ago in New York City of heart failure at 91 years old. Now, unlike the story we just read, George Shearing was blind from birth and remained that way all the way until his death. However, in spite of his blindness, he had a great attitude. He was known for his positive Christian attitude and a great sense of humor. He loved the Lord. It seems George once stood on a corner during rush hour in New York City, where he lived most of his life. And he was standing there in a nice suit with a white cane with a red tip and dark sunglasses on, as blind people often do. He's standing there, and all he can hear is all this traffic going by, and he is expecting someone to walk up, as usually happens, and touch him on the arm and say, may I help you across the street? Well, this day, no one did. But somebody came up and touched him on the arm and said, sir, I'm blind. Can you help me across the street? And he said, well, sure, give me your arm. And so he took the guy's arm and with his other hand, he picked up his cane, held it real high and waved it, waited for the traffic to slow down. And he stepped out, he said, okay, we're ready to go. And he started walking across the street. He said there were all kinds of horns and cabbies shouting obscenities, but they made it all the way across safely. Got up on the curb and the other guy said, well, thank you very much, sir. He said, no problem, glad I could help. And later a friend of his said, why in the world did you put yourself in such danger? Why would you do such a thing? He said, oh, the irony of it was so great, I just couldn't object. You know, the blind leading the blind, all that stuff. And I thought, what a good attitude. I walk by faith, not by sight, obviously. Now, no doubt, as you've read through the Bible, you've noticed how many people were disabled. It starts really very early in Genesis chapter 27. Isaac, the promised son of Abraham, in his adult years became blind. In Genesis 32, Isaac's son Jacob got in a wrestling match to remember with an angel. The angel touched his thigh 
and he was disabled the rest of his life. He couldn't walk very straight. King Saul had a grandson named Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9. He was disabled in both of his feet. He couldn't walk at all. He would be in a wheelchair if alive today. King Jeroboam in 1 King 14 was confronted by a blind prophet named Ahijah. In 2 Kings 5, we find the Syrian commander Nahum came to Israel to speak to the prophet Elisha because he had leprosy and he was washed the Jordan River and was healed. New Testament continues on and on. Many disabled people, the paralytic who was let down through the roof in Mark chapter 2 at the city of Capernaum by friend. The man with a withered hand in the next chapter, Mark 3, in the synagogue, Jesus healed him. Mark 7, 32, a hearing impaired man who also couldn't speak clearly and Jesus gave both hearing and speech to him. And if you're not a disabled person, it's easy to pass over these things and not really apply it to your life. If you are, then particularly if it's the same disability you have, you pause and you consider and you empathize with the person that's going through that. So that's what I'd like us to do is to empathize, not sympathize, feel sorry for the person, but empathize is try and feel the same thing that this beggar is feeling as he sat for a long time, probably in a gate of Jerusalem, and begged for money. He's at probably the lowest status you can reach in the first century where there was no social security or insurance or anything. So here he is with a little plate or a little cup asking for donations when Jesus came by. Now, we break into the story where Jesus has been on the Temple Mount during the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was called. And there was a water component of the feast and there was a light component to remind the Jews that they had spent 40 years in the wilderness. God sent a light, a fire, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to shade them. And so Jesus had stood up in front of the temple and everybody and said, I am the light of the world, which caused a, a great deal of debate between the rabbis who were there because the temple around it was in fact a university, 30 different rabbis teaching there with all their students spread all over. And these guys came and they began to want to debate with Jesus about what he meant by that. Confrontation isn't just a debate, it's Jesus trying to win their hearts. And in John 8.30 we read, he spoke these words and many believed in him which is always God's motive. He is here because we've gathered in the name of Jesus. And he is trying to do the same thing, trying to touch each one of our lives and draw us closer to him. So as he goes up and down these aisles, we could say, and you're struggling with something in your life, hold out your hand and say, Lord, don't pass by. Be like this man. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. He's in John chapter 9. And as we get back into the message, Pastor Ed offers this helpful outline. Now, in this beautiful miracle, we'll see that this man is healed in three separate ways. 
I want you to catch this. He receives his sight physically, first of all. We don't know if he had eyeballs in his orbits because often in the Middle East and North Africa, there are different kinds of parasites that attack and destroy eyesight in babies. That's why we still put silver nitrate in the eyes of newborns before the release from the hospital. So we don't know if a parasite had eaten up the eyeballs, but he couldn't see. Mechanically, he was unable to physically. But secondly, he's about to be healed mentally. How so, Pastor? Well, we've since discovered that as you are a child and crawling around, your brain is taking in and creating a index of geometric shapes and colors and smell and texture. You are creating a table of contents, if you will, for your memory banks. The synapses are the place where memory is stored. So that process never happens in a person who is blind from birth. And this man, who is now an adult, is suddenly given sight, but it would be of no good to him if he didn't know what these objects, colors, shapes meant. Jesus puts into his mind an index complete. Thirdly, he's going to be healed spiritually. You'll see a progression here. When they ask him the first time, he says, well, Jesus was the man, just a man, another man. And then later, he begins to realize as he thinks about what happened to him, he said, well, maybe he's a prophet because he did a miracle, I, I can see. And then later, his third step, he'll say, Jesus is Lord, master, ruler of my life, which is the same progression God takes us all through, maybe not physically, but certainly that spiritual part. So watch for that. This is one of my favorite miracles in the whole Bible because it's actually hilarious when you read it from the side of the man who is blind. That's where we're going. So the man hasn't known anything about color. He only knows blackness, inky black, and he's about ready to be introduced to a new world, a world never before even imagined by him. So three parts of this. First, Jesus is called a man in the first 16 verses, a prophet in 17 through 35, and then Lord in the last part, 36 to 41. Here we go. Verse 1. Now as Jesus passed, is passing by, literally it says, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I, I make that point because Jesus never just passes by. He has deep compassion for whatever it is that you're going through right now. It just happens. We've talked about the storms of life before. They're, you're either in one right now, or you're coming out of one, or you're about ready to go into another one. It's just the reality of life. And Paul wrote, don't think it's strange when trials come upon you. Consider it normal. It's a normal thing to go through difficult times. I was talking to a young lady this week. She's uh, just had a really tough last few years. She, her husband had multiple affairs and left her with a lot of debt, and she's just trying to make it. And she kept telling me how unfair life was, that life was happening to her. 
I said, no, life is happening for you, not to you. You see, life is a gift. There are those times when it doesn't feel like it. I get that. I've been through a couple of things myself lately. But those storms are opportunities for growth, to become more like Jesus, to become more compassionate to people around you, to be more humble and more feeling. You can't get those things in the world. They only come through difficulties and trials. Life is not happening to you. Life is happening for you. So this man, blind from birth, is about ready to find the reality of that, that his disability was a setup so that God could change him for eternity. He will never be the same because of this moment we're reading on. One other little background piece. You'll remember that if you started with this, the Gospel of John has only seven miracles in it. John said he's only writing seven. If he tried to write them all down, all the books in all the world couldn't contain all the things that Jesus did. But he chose these seven so that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah. And knowing that he is the Son of God, you would have eternal life. That's why he chose these seven. Why? Well, the first one we looked at was changing water to wine. It was a creation miracle. He wants us to see that he is the Messiah, the Son of God who made these things. They're at the wedding feast, you remember, in Cana. They run out of wine. And Jesus said, fill up those jugs over there, like 30-gallon jugs, with water. And they pour water in it. And then he says, now take it to the chief steward, the guy that's running the refreshments. And they took it to him. He said, this is great. Most people put out the good wine first. This is the best. You, you left it for the last. He took water that's inorganic and turned it into an organic liquid that has 450 different compounds in it. Wine is filled with tannins and, and acids and alcohol, and it's converted over time by bacteria and yeast. Jesus did it in an instant. He did what in an instant? He created time, vintage, in the bottles, in the jug. How did he do that? I don't have a clue. But he is God who created time. He wants us to know he is the creator. Second miracle, the ruler's son is dying just outside of Cana. This member of the king's family comes and says, my infant son is dying. He's got a high fever. And Jesus is touched by this man who had faith in Jesus, one of Herod's family. And he said, go your way, your son is made well. And the guy's shocked. He heads back home 15 miles away and his servants meet him on the road. And they say, hey, your son's all better. He said, when did it happen? And they told him the time, it was the exact time that Jesus had said, go your way, your son is healed. 15 miles, no prescription. How did he diagnose him? What did he do? Did he put some chemicals in the kid that wasn't there before? 
Did he do it at the speed of light so he could go down to Capernaum and come all the way? I don't know. That's what's so frustrating about this part of scripture. These miracles, they just leave you cold if you're trying to understand them from a scientific standpoint. But he created in the kid the right chemicals to destroy the fever causing pick a disease in those days. Smallpox, yellow fever, malaria, no vaccinations for any of those things available. No antibiotics, unless you're God, and you just make some on the fly. Third miracle, a man who hadn't walked for 38 years by the pool of Bethsaida. And he walks up to the man and says, you want to be healed? The guy said, well, I, I, this, this is not an easy thing. You know, I, I need help. And Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. 38 years. He leans over. He created nerves and muscles in this guy's legs that had atrophied for almost 40 years. Put stuff there that wasn't there. Why? He's the creator. John wants us to see that he is the son of God who created all things. Fourth miracle. He's going to have a couple of people over for lunch. 10,000, 5,000 men on the side of a hill. A kid shows up with five, five fish, little tiny, think sardines. They're little tiny things in the Sea of Galilee. Still see them today next to the... And he's got a couple of barley loaves. Jesus passes it out and all of a sudden there's enough to feed all those men plus their wives and their children, 10,000 people. How did that happen? I can't help you. He broke it and another one... He created on the end of the bread, he just broke off. He's doing this as fast as he possibly can. It's faster than a drive in a jack-in-the-box. Storm! <laughs> Amazing. The fifth miracle. He walks on water. What? <laughs> People can't walk on water. You know, geckos can run across water. There's spiders, there's wharf spiders that can walk on water. Water bugs are going to walk on water. Jesus walks on water. He's too heavy. There's nothing to hold him. <laughs> Unless you created the surface tension of water and decided to tweak a little bit one day so you can walk out to your apostles in a boat so that we would know that he is the creator. He's about ready to do it again. He's about ready to heal this man, and he does it in an extraordinary way. Verse 2, his disciples are saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now the guy's right there, the blind man, and he hears this and he's probably thinking, man, that's cold. I was born this way, you idiot. You think I, I sinned in my mother's womb? But in the first century, that's where Jewish theology was. They actually believed that a baby could sin in their mother's womb and they look at the story of Esau and Jacob. They wrestled together in the womb to see who would get out first. And they call that sin. And so they think this blind man is blind because he sinned in the womb. Had a card game with his, never mind. <laughs> Even though scripture clearly teaches it. Now, this applies to us today. I have people all the time come to me and said, I had a terrible case of whatever, COVID or whatever. And why is God mad at me? Why is he punishing me? Is it because of my sin? Listen. If God was in the business of punishing us for our sins here, we would all be just smoking bruquettes, okay? We're all sinners, every one of us. 
Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace as we continue our journey through the New Testament. Today's message from Pastor Ed Ray is a part of our study in John's Gospel, and you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find all of our recently aired programs right there at thepackinghouse.org, as well as an archive of Pastor Ed's messages. And if you prefer to have a CD copy of today's message, just call toll-free 844-77-GRACE. Again, we're here to serve you at 844-77-GRACE. As we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we're looking to our listeners for help. Even a small donation can have a large impact by God's grace. And whatever comes in goes straight to the ministry. When you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount today, be sure to request our featured resource. It's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. This is a no-compromise call to biblical revival and spiritual excellence that we all need to hear. You'll see the great disparity between today's church and the Church of Acts. Again, we're making it available for a gift of any amount. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone 